Hi, this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohev Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. So this week we read Parsha B'Shalach. Well, now that the Israelites have actually left Egypt, the way that Paro changes his mind and chases after them, and then the whole scene at the sea and the song of the sea, and then some kvetching at the end of the Parsha for good measure. And so I wanted to actually focus on the beginning of the Parsha this week, and specifically the first Aliyah, and one specific Pasuk, actually the last Pasuk of the Aliyah. So just to summarize what's happened so far, um, the people have left, Paro hears that they're running away, right? Meaning they're not coming back. It's not like they just want to go into the wilderness for a few days and then come back. They're actually gone. And so um, the Torah, so so Hashem stiffens Paro's heart and he says, oh my gosh, what have we done? And he gets his best chariots, like 600 of them, and chase after the Israelites. Now, sort of inserted somewhat randomly is the last pasuk of the first Iliad. It's chapter 14, verse 8. The pasuk says, V'chazik Hashem et leif paro melech mitzrayim, v'yirdof achrei b'nei Yisrael, that God stiffened the heart of paro, king of Egypt, and therefore he chased after the Israelites. And then the last words of this aliyah, uvnei Yisrael yotzim b'yad ramah. So the Israelites, translated literally, were departing with a raised hand. What? So we have to ask this question of like, what does this mean, biyad rama? And more importantly, what is it teaching us? Like, why is it here? What is the significance of this? Now, why is this a question? Well, first of all, it's a strange term, but also we already know from earlier in the Aliyah that B'nai Israel they alu um, chamushim alu B'nai Israel meretz mitzrayim that they went up armed out of Egypt. Right? We know that they have stuff already. We know that they have some kind of weapons. And so, what what on earth does it mean here that they departed with this outstretched arm? Now, if you look at um, the JPS uh, commentary, the, he notes, um, literally, he says, with an upraised hand, but they translate it as departing defiantly. Why? He says it's a metaphor drawn from the depiction of ancient Near Eastern gods menacingly brandishing a weapon in the upraised right hand. The self-confident Israelites are oblivious of the renewed Egyptian threat. So in other words, the reason that JPS translates it as departing defiantly is because the argument is that upraised hand is referencing ancient Near East gods who would have a weapon in their right hand kind of strongly and menacingly, right? So that this term then kind of connotes that they are feeling really empowered um, and that they're comparing themselves in the level of autonomy and violence they have now to that of ancient Near East gods that they were surrounded by. So that's interesting translation, interesting explanation of why Yad Ramah specifically. But I want to now get at the heart at, okay, so that might be the translation, but what is this supposed to mean? What is this supposed to teach us? Now, I actually, what I did was I, I wanted to just go through a brief survey of all of them, afarshing, all the different explanations of what this can mean, because I think it's really, really interesting to see how the different afarshim understand this term. And so we'll go through those and then we'll sort of tie it all together and uh, and see what sense we can make of this. So Rashi quotes a medrash that says, what is Yad Ramah, Bigvura, Gevoha, Umefor Semet? Sort of with, with strength and gvura, right? Like uh, just 
this pride and strength and, and, and sort of military military strength, I guess. I know I'm saying that word over and over again. right? They're big and they're proud. And so I think in some ways that actually kind of connects to the JPS commentary, right? So we're seeing the same thing. This is a source of pride. They are feeling strong. They are feeling confident and like they're going out. But once again, interesting translation of Yad Rama maybe makes the most sense, but is that really, do we think, is that really how they actually were right now when they've left Egypt? So the Bechor Shor says, He says, so they weren't paying any attention to anything because they left with permission. So they went out, you know, publicly, they didn't feel like they were running away, like they were thieves, right? They borrowed all this stuff from the Egyptians and now they're leaving and they don't intend to return it. But he says, no, but they left with permission. And so they're, they're sort of just kind of walking around, not trying to hide themselves. That's a much different understanding, right? That's not necessarily a point of pride or, you know, valor. This is just saying, no, they weren't hiding. Um, Chizkuni says it more simply, even he just says, yatsu. you know, they just, they left with permission. The Nitziv says something similar. So that they weren't running away at all. And in fact, the opposite of running away is according to him, they were walking slowly, right? They're taking their time. They're not running away. They're just, you know, sort of just walking because they're walking and they can move at their own pace. It says it's because of that Paro was even able to catch up to them at all in the first place, right? They're a couple days ahead of Paro. So how did Paro catch up to them so fast? Part of it is because they were just, you know, walking. They're just going. They've got permission and they can do whatever they want. Now, these are all, I think, perhaps more articulate, accurate portrayals of this term, Rama, but not necessarily as true to the literal term itself as Rashi and the JPS commentary, which say, no, this really is like a point of military pride. Um, Shadal quotes the Inklus, um, who said something interesting, that Yad Raman, it means um, with Galui Rosh, that their heads weren't covered. Why? Because Kisuya Rosh Hayasiman Kniut, right? Because what they you would cover your head if you were subservient to someone, right? If you were lower down. And you would uncover your head as a source of pride, as a source of autonomy, as a source of taking charge, right? And so Yad Ramah doesn't mean, a, you know, a raised hand. It means that and maybe perhaps what the argument is, is that it's a metaphor for going out with uncovered heads, right? They're trying to sort of claim their autonomy now and say, we're no longer subject to you, Egypt. We are now, we are going out, we own ourselves and we own our own strength. Okay. Again, interesting interpretation, but I think doesn't really actually get to the heart of just how complicated this moment is for Israel. Now, the reason that this all caught my attention is they're going out biyad rama. They're going out with this outstretched hand, which as the Mepharshim say one way or another, depending on how extreme it is, they're going out with some sense of autonomy, some sense of strength, some sense of freedom. But yet that kind of stands in contrast to what happens as soon as they see Egypt, the Egyptians coming, 
right? Because what happens as soon as they see the Egyptians coming, they completely panic and they say, you know, was it not for lack of graves in Egypt that you took us out of here? I mean, they, they see Egypt and they're completely, completely terrified and petrified instantly. And so you have to wonder, were they really genuinely confident and leaving freely and confidently when they left Egypt? Or is something more complicated going on here? Could this pasuk be teaching us something different? And for that, the last parshan I wanted to look at is the Ibn Ezra, who says something simple, and I don't even know if he intended it to, to be understood as deeply as I see it. But anyway, we're going to read it anyway. What does he say? He says, Lo yatsu kidmut borchim, imahem kol hamilchama. So he says something very subtle, but very interesting. Lo yatsu kidmut borchim. They didn't go out looking with the appearance of people who are running away. And also, they had all of these weapons with them. Now, you may say, okay, isn't that kind of similar to what the Mepharshim said before? But there's one major difference here. I think it's all in the word demut, right? They didn't leave with the appearance of people who are running away. So, why is that significant? Because it shows here what I think is, is the key to understanding this part of the story, which is that there was a major discrepancy between what the Israelites looked like and how they actually felt inside. What they looked like was a massive group of people finally leaving after centuries of being enslaved and they look strong and they don't look like they're running away and they've got all these weapons, right? It's an image in which they looked very powerful and very strong, right? And that's probably actually held true because we'll see that other nations, they, they do see them as being significant, right? And, and Paro does get really worried and Paro does send his best chariots after. Why does Paro send his best chariots after them? Maybe because Paro actually thinks, yeah, he's going to be encountering a huge army of free people who are walking along, looking really confident, looking like they're finally taking charge of their own fate. But as we know, on the inside, not the demut, not the appearance, but the actual in their own minds, the Israelites are still incredibly vulnerable. They still really are enslaved. They're so enmeshed in the trauma and the, the identity of having been enslaved for so long that they still see themselves as just could could die any second, right? So as soon as they see the Egyptians chasing after them, they, they can't even appreciate that God is there. Of course, God's going to save them. They just immediately revert to like, oh my gosh, our oppressor is coming and he's going to kill us all. And why did you even do this to us? Why did you get our hopes up? Why did you even take us out of here? The, none of this was worth it, right? And then Moshe kind of panics. So how could they have done that, right? With there this big people that is armed and looking confident? And I think the answer is because that for victims of abuse, victims of violence, victims of oppression, right? Victims of power different differentials and power control. It doesn't matter how you look. You can look like the most com confident together person, right? And frequently people, no one even suspects that someone is a victim of abuse because it doesn't even present obviously. And you can still be very functional and confident in many areas of your life. And it's only behind the scenes, what most people don't know, 
what's really going on. And I think that that is precisely what this Yad Ramah part of the Pasuk is teaching us, that Egypt is getting ready to go, right? They're going to chase after with all their best stuff. Why? Because the Israelites look strong. They look like they're going to put up a big fight. And it's only later when we see the Israelites' reaction that we realize, of course, they're not capable of putting up a fight. They may look strong, but they, they're still completely broken and terrified inside. And it's going to take so much more than them just leaving the physical space of Egypt in order to break through of that. And so I really see this interpretation of the Ibn Ezra and this pasuk about the Yad Ramah that's just kind of thrown in there at the end is really being a reminder to us that abuse and trauma are not always very visible things. There are things that we have to be aware that they might surprise us. And they, they are often just lurking beneath the surface and not actually right there in front of us. And that it's all the more so upon us to be sensitive to these issues and to also believe people, even when it seems like that can't possibly actually be the case. Shabbat shalom.